all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason. You. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. Welcome to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Assistant Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Today on the show, we continue our January jumpstart to a healthier you with the topic of mental health and why making it a priority should be part of your wellness goals. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or send us an email at fit at mpbonline.org. We'll be back after the news. from NPR News in Washington. I'm Lakshmi Singh. President Trump has signed several executive orders undoing actions taken by his predecessor. Among them, he's withdrawing the U.S. from the Trans-Pacific Partnership Trade Agreement, and he's ordering a hiring freeze for federal workers except for the military. The Senate Foreign Relations Committee holds a confirmation vote this afternoon on Secretary of State nominee Rex Tillerson. At least one ranking Democrat, Ben Cardin of Maryland, says he will not back Tillerson because of questions about his business ties. But NPR's Scott Detrow reports Republican Senator Marco Rubio of Florida says he will back Trump's nominee. The Republican was one of the most aggressive questioners when Tillerson testified in front of the Senate committee. The one-time presidential candidate grilled the former Exxon CEO on human rights records in Russia and other countries, at one point pressing Tillerson to label Vladimir Putin as a war criminal. Rubio says he's still worried about whether the Trump administration is making human rights a top foreign policy priority. But he says Tillerson's experience counterbalances that. And Rubio says the president should also get deference on selecting his cabinet. Rubio says his support for Tillerson comes with reservations. But with Republicans' narrow majority on the panel, it's likely enough to move Tillerson's nomination forward later today. Scott Detrow, NPR News. The Supreme Court's rejecting an appeal from the state of Texas to have its strict voter ID law restored. The law is still being challenged in federal court. Here's NPR's Pam Fessler. Texas agreed to modify its voter ID law before the election to allow exceptions for voters unable to get a government-issued photo ID. But the state wanted to have the original law reinstated, a request rejected by the high court. Separately, a case challenging the law continues to be heard in federal court. Voter advocacy groups say the ID requirement was enacted with the intention of discriminating against Hispanics in violation of the Constitution and the Voting Rights Act. The state State disagrees. A hearing in that case was scheduled for tomorrow, but the U.S. Justice Department, in its first act after President Trump's inauguration, requested a one-month delay, which was approved. Pam Fessler, NPR News. An unarmed missile that a British submarine fired off the coast of Florida veered off course last year. That, according to a report in the Sunday Times of London, 
NPR's Frank Lankford says Prime Minister Theresa May never mentioned the weapons test. Critics are yelling cover-up, saying May should have told the House of Commons that the missile test went awry. In an exchange with the BBC's Andrew Marr yesterday, May refused to say what she knew at the time. Did you know that misfire had occurred? Well, I have absolute faith in our Trident missiles. When I made that speech in the House of Commons, what we were talking about was whether or not we should renew our Trident. Members of Parliament overwhelmingly voted to renew the Trident nuclear system last year at a cost of nearly $50 billion. Frank Langford, NPR News, London. This is NPR. Rescue crews are hoping to find survivors who've been trapped for days beneath the snow and debris of an avalanche that crashed into their hotel in central Italy. Authorities say about two dozen people are still missing. Emergency crews are hoping survivors have somehow found air pockets under the snow and rubble. Nine people have been rescued so far. Samsung has wrapped up its investigation on what caused its Galaxy Note 7 phones to catch fire last summer, leading to the largest mobile phone recall in its history. And Pierre's Elise Hugh has the latest from Seoul. Samsung says it tested 200,000 of its phones in an isolated environment to find out what went wrong. Following the investigation, it's putting the blame on both companies that supplied batteries for the phone saying internal short circuits of both batteries for the Galaxy Note 7 led to phone meltdowns. The batteries from its first supplier had design flaws or were missing insulation tape, Samsung investigators say. The batteries from the second supplier had separate manufacturing defects. The problems caused the batteries to short. Samsung, again, is apologizing to consumers and investors for what went wrong. It says 96% of the phones sold have been successfully recalled. Elise Hugh, NPR News, Seoul. The Associated Press reports Sprint plans to buy a 33% stake of the title music streaming service owned by artists such as Madonna and Kanye West. It says financial terms have not yet been disclosed. U.S. stocks trading lower. The Dow is off 65 points. I'm Lakshmi Singh, NPR News. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include Visiting Angels, professional caregivers assisting adults at home in bathing, dressing, meals, and light housework nationwide. Visiting Angels, America's choice in senior home care. Learn more at 1-800-365-4189. You're listening to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit on MPB Think Radio. We're glad to take your calls at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can always email your comments and questions to healthy at mpbonline.org. This is MPB Think Radio, Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm your host, Dr. Josie Bidwell, Assistant Professor of Nursing and Nurse Practitioner at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Here with my guest, I'm so excited to introduce to you guys today. I have Dr. Carl Mangum and Chandra Boston. They are psych mental health nurse practitioners at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And today we're going to talk all about mental health, what it means, um, how you can kind of take control of your mental health, and really why it should be a part of your wellness plan. So give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or shoot me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning. I'm so happy to have y'all here with me today. 
And we're going to talk about mental health. And I know you guys are big experts in mental health. And uh, so it's it's great that our listeners had the opportunity to kind of hear from two experts in the field today. Just briefly, to get us started, what is mental health? What does that mean? Okay, so mental illness um, affects millions of people. Um, it can disturb a person's thoughts, feelings, moods, or actions. It may be severe or mild. Um, mental illness has many causes, some of which include genetics, uh, chemical imbalances in the brain, or biological, environmental or social factors. Um, mental illness can affect people of any age, race, or ethnic group, or income level. Right. So what I'm hearing is, you know, we we talk a lot about physical health and high blood pressure and diabetes and high cholesterol and all those types of things, but mental health is just as important. And when we have problems in our mental health, it can affect our the way we function and the way we're able to take care of our physical problems as well. And so, you know, Dr. Mangum, what is the most common mental health problem that people have? Usually in the community, the biggest thing we see are some type of depression and or anxiety. Uh, those would be the two biggest ones. Um, many people have um, depressed days. We all have depressed times in our life. Um, sometimes it raises to that clinical level. Uh, but many days we just have sometimes just have a bad day. And um, it's hard sometimes to understand that it's just a bad day and tomorrow should be much better. Right. So I'm so glad to hear you say that because that's one of the things that I get from patients in in my practice is when is it a problem? So when you mentioned depression, and that's the one that I see most common as well in my patients as, you know, when does it go from being just a bad day or even a couple of bad days into being something that needs to be seen by a healthcare provider? Well, one of the first things we look at is how it's affecting the person. Is it affecting their activities of daily living? In other words, is it affecting how they interact and help take care of their family? Is it affecting how they work or where they work or their job performance? If they're in school, is it affecting their school work? And just overall, how is it affecting that person's daily life? And those are the things we look at. And if that happens more than just a few days, usually in a row, like you said, one or two days, uh, having bad days, then we want to start looking at, well, why are you feeling that way for a longer period of time? And that's when they need to come in and let us take a take a listen and, sure. and see what's going on with that. Now, does that necessarily mean medications? Because that people don't want to do that. They say, I don't want to go on medications. Right. That's a common thing that we hear. And we try to look at the big picture, and we don't always go straight to medications. Um, and there's some counseling. Sometimes people just need someone to talk to for a, a, a short period of time, and uh, they feel better. Uh, many of us have that, and, and I encourage everyone to have that one close friend that you can go open your heart up to and say, hey, I'm having a problem like this, and be able to, to explain yourself without having to hold back. And that's one of the things we look for, and we definitely encourage everyone to have that talk buddy. And we've talked about that talk buddy on this show since the beginning of the year. We mentioned it when we talked about fitness, that you need to have a fitness buddy that holds you accountable for your exercise. And also when we were talking about cleaning up our diet, we talked about having somebody that can you can text every day and uh, 
and tell us what you're eating and we can kind of hold you hold you up and make sure that you're doing what you're supposed to do and a talk buddy is very very important as well and so you know mental illness or problems with mental health is actually the way I like to look at it because I think when we say illness, it immediately puts people on the defensive that something's wrong with me. It's so incredibly common that you may feel like you're the only person going through this issue, but I can promise you that you're not. There's probably someone that's in your very close circle of friends or family that's also going through this. So, you know, being able to find someone to talk to them uh, together about that is a great way to kind of, um, start to tackle this. Now, we, you mentioned anxiety being the other part of, of one of the more common uh, illnesses that we have. And so, you know, anxiety, everybody gets anxious, sure. you know, uh, you get anxious before you go and make a big speech, you get anxious before um, you get married, all these different life events, you have anxiety. So it is being anxious bad. In some cases, being anxious is very good. We look at uh, different levels of anxiety, and just for an example, we have a mild, a moderate, or severe. With mild anxiety, we have that throughout the day sometimes, depending on your job or what you're doing, like before the big test. Uh, many of our students have anxiety, and it's mild. Um, but one good thing about mild anxiety, it helps you focus, and it brings up things to the forefront where you're able to cope and actually do a better job. It's when it gets past the mild anxiety that uh, we start to worry and become concerned. Chandra, um, I know that you see a lot of anxiety patients in clinic, and we actually happen to be in clinic together, so Chandra sits right next to me in clinic, so I know the types of patients that she sees. And so what's kind of that first step in getting them evaluated when they come in with anxiety? Well, usually what we'll do is take a thorough history, uh, find out what's going on with the patient, um, talk about triggers, those things that are contributing to the anxiety. Um, once we identify the triggers, then we will um, come up with a form of treatment. And sometimes that may be relaxation techniques. Um, it may be psychotherapy. So we will look at the symptoms, um, whether they're mild, moderate, or severe, and then determine the form of treatment. Great. So I'm going to throw our topic back out there. We're talking about mental health and answering your questions about depression, anxiety, phobias, any of the things that are bothering you today. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or shoot me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. And I want to talk about therapy because we've kind of tiptoed around that a little bit. We've mentioned, you know, medicines may be an option for treating some mental health issues, but we've also mentioned having somebody to talk to. If it goes beyond having a friend that you need to talk to, if it needs to be more of a formal setting, I want to talk about what that that is. We usually call it cognitive behavioral therapy or something like that. But I think people think that you're going to go in an office and stretch out on a couch and uh, somebody's going to sit there with a yellow legal pad and write down all your um, fears and and that's how that's going to go. And that's really a movie thing. That's what's happening on television, but that's not really what happens in a mental health care provider's office when you go in for cognitive behavioral therapy, right? Correct. Uh we, we try not to per, per, 
who to portray that image of the, laid out on the couch and the the legal pad there because that's not the way it really goes. Um, once we've established you as a patient and we've been able to talk to you and do that initial assessment that Chandra was talking about, uh, we have a better understanding of what you're going through and what you're dealing with. But you also have a better understanding of us and where we're coming from. And through those different types of therapy, cognitive cognitive behavioral being one of them, we're able to sit and talk. And, and the main thing with therapeutic communication is it's not what I think or believe. It's what you think or believe. How is this situation affecting you? I want to know your thoughts about it because what I think about it doesn't matter because it's not happening to me. It's happening to you. And there are other forms of therapy, right? I mean, there's play therapy, music therapy, art therapy. Have you had any experience with any of those? Some play therapy um, with child um, population. Um, Usually what you'll do is kind of get them to come in and role play um, some of the experiences that they're going through. And as Carl mentioned earlier, um, You know, we try to get the um, individual to uh, have a new way of thinking, a new way of behaving, um, and changing habits that may be contributing to the anxiety or the depression. And I've seen play therapy used a lot. You know, my background is pediatrics, and and we use it for a multitude of things. You know, in kids, a lot of things that I see are situational anxiety. So they'll be in the hospital and they're anxious about an upcoming procedure, upcoming test, diagnosis. And we can really use play therapy as a way to help them move through what they're scared of. You know, we can let them play with our equipment and go through the procedures on their doll. And that's one way to do it. But it can be done in an outpatient setting as well. So we have to remember that kids, um, you know, play is what they know. And so as normal as you can make it for a child, that's what we want to do. And, you know, We've talked about um, that mental illness and problems with mental health affect every age group. So I don't want people to think we're just talking about grown-ups. So if you ha- if you feel like your child is having a problem and you feel like they need to be seen, I would encourage you to have them checked out sooner rather than later so that we can get them on the right path. And we're going to talk about ADHD in a little bit because I know that's a topic that a lot of parents have uh, questions about. And so we'll answer your questions about ADHD and the medications that go along with that when we come back from the break. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one 672 7464 or From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. MPB's at issue has the 2017 legislative session covered from all angles. You'll hear each week from Mississippi's most influential elected leaders at the state capitol. 
MPB political analysts, Republican Austin Barber, and Democrat Brandon Jones provide insight on the critical issues facing the state and how these issues impact you. Join host Wilson Stribling for Mississippi's only statewide television news program at Issue, Fridays at 7.30 p.m. on MPB TV. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. Dr. Josie Bidwell here with my guests, Dr. Carl Mangum and Chandra Boston, psych mental health nurse practitioners at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And we're here to answer any questions you may have about mental health and overall mental wellness and any specific questions you have about depression, anxiety, ADHD, really anything that's affecting you today. You can give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. That's 1-877-MPB-RING. Now, guys, I did get an email and it was from a a lady who has a question about ADHD. And she actually wants to know, she asked me, what's the difference between ADD and ADHD? Or is there a difference at all? Well, with ADD, um, you do not have hyperactivity. So when you look at ADHD, then that actually stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. And when you look at ADD, then you're looking at Attention Deficit Disorder without the hyperactivity. So, you know, most uh, most kids that I know, uh, mine included, can, I think they're hyper. You know, they're running around and they won't sit still and they don't listen to me and I have to tell them to do things a million times. What makes that different what makes that normal hyperactivity versus something that we need to treat well when you have um children in particular um who have symptoms of adhd um you're going to have the poor concentration um you're going to have um the restlessness um the hyperactivity, and they're not able to sit still. Um, You can ask them several times, can you please stop doing that? Can you please be still? I need to get your attention. But they're not able to control it. Um, So, um, and sometimes parents have difficulty determining whether this is just normal, restless behavior. Is this a normal behavior for a six-year-old or a seven-year-old? And that's when, um, if it gets... Um, to the point where you feel that, you know, something is going on with the child. The teachers may be um, making some reports to the parents that um, I'm noticing that uh, your child is having problems focusing, paying attention in class. Um, They can't sit still. That child that's always up out of their seat, um, moving around the classroom when they shouldn't be. And then that's the point where you probably want to... um, 
consult a professional. So it's really when they just can't help it. It's not that they're just not listening to you. They just can't help it. I usually ask parents, can they sit and watch a television program? Because if they can sit and watch their favorite television program, then they, then they it's probably that they're just not listening to you. Not always, but it could be it. I'm here with my guests, uh, Dr. Carl Mangum and Chandra Boston, psych mental health nurse practitioners from UMC. And we do have a caller. I'm going to go to Michael in Oxford, one of my favorite towns, with a comment on the topic. Good morning, Michael. Good morning. Um, I just wanted to let people know that that there is light at the end of the tunnel. Um, in 2013, I was told all at once that I had multiple myeloma and end-stage renal disease, and I I broke down. I ended up uh, not remembering a whole lot. I ended up uh, in the hospital for 41 days. They finally diagnosed me that I had a severe thyroid problem. They gave me pills for that. And now I'm on... Um, Olazapine and I can't pronounce the bupropion. Yeah, I take it uh, once at night, once in the morning, and I seem to be able to cope coping with both their diseases now. But when you're told news like that, I don't know how anyone can comprehend what just happened to you. Absolutely. It, it can be overwhelming when you get a diagnosis that you're not, that you at first you may know nothing about it and you go to Google and you type it in and it comes up with all kinds of things that can be scary. Or even if you do know what's going on, just trying to comprehend the sheer amount of information that we often throw at you can be overwhelming. And I'm so happy to hear that you were able to, to get some help and to, to move through that and that you're willing to step up and say, hey, there is light at the end of this tunnel. So I think that's what people often get concerned about is that they're going to have to go through this alone and they don't want to talk about it and that they'll never kind of come out the other side of this but you have oh yeah the uh cancer uh, which is not curable but manageable is in right. remission and i do peritoneal dialysis at home so i'm able to live a halfway normal life and my wife is there to always help me and i i do see a psychiatrist once every four months now so and he's there to help but uh, other than that i'm doing okay i'm so glad to hear that and thank you so much for calling and and sharing your story with us and the listeners yes ma'am enjoy your day you too bye-bye bye-bye so that was great dr mangum did you have a comment about that yeah on, on the heels of him and i'm glad he's doing well um one of the things that i like for people to think about as far as mental illness it's a disease just like diabetes, cancer, heart disease, any other thing that you can name that we consider a medical or physical disease. And mental illness is the same way. The disease is usually just in the brain. And I have a brain disease is what I've had people tell me. And uh, we're still trying to work on that um, that stigma that goes with mental health. And um, if y'all, if the public can help us break down those stereotypes and that stigma, more people may come forward and get the appropriate care that they need, no matter what's going on in their life. I'm so glad you mentioned that term stigma, because that's really what's out there. And it's so incredibly unfortunate that that's what we place that this we place this stigma on folks with mental illness, because it is just 
an illness like any other disease. Uh, um, Chandra mentioned uh, kind of chemical imbalances as one of the causes of mental illnesses. Well, you could say that diabetes is chemical imbalance because it's a you know it's an interplay of hormones that are are dysregulated. So it really is real. You know, I think that's one thing that people have a problem with because it doesn't have an outward symptom. You know, nothing swells, nothing turns red. You don't nothing looks bad on the outside. That it's not real, that it's all in their head. And that's just simply not the case. But it's so important for healthcare providers to be open to people coming in and seeking assistance with that. And that people have, you know, feel like that we're here to help them with that. And that's really what we want to do. And we want to answer your questions or hear your stories this morning. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or send me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. And we want to hear from you. So briefly back to our ADHD. So you mentioned, you know, six and seven year olds. When is too young to diagnose somebody with an attention deficit disorder? Well, you know, um, in some cases, you do have individuals down to age three um, exhibiting symptoms of ADHD. Um, So that um, diagnosis can actually begin from age three on up. You know, um, you have children, teenagers, and adults who are affected by ADHD, Um, Sometimes um, people think that it's just a childhood Mm -hmm. disorder, but that is not the case. And it's often very hard for those people to get get treated then. People, um, I've had patients who've come to me and they have just kind of limped through um, their high school days and clearly they had symptoms of ADHD but were not properly diagnosed and treated. And now they're in their early 20s, they're in college, and they're struggling even more and people feel like they're just drug seeking, like they're just trying to get some Adderall. And that's not the case, you know, that so don't think of it as just a, a child problem. So if you're a young adult and you're struggling with that, encourage you to, to speak with your healthcare provider. And if they don't listen, find someone who will, because you really need to get that under control to maximize your success in your um, schooling. So I know I've had folks that have been treated for ADHD by family health care providers and that kind of thing. It's really important that you get the proper diagnosis before you start treatment, right? And so how do we diagnose that? You don't just come in and say, hey, I, I can't sit still in class and I think I need some medication. How do you know when someone has ADHD? Well, you know, in psychiatry, we have um, a diagnostic manual um, and so usually what we do is look at criteria um, within that diagnostic manual. But also um, with ADHD, it's very important that um, individuals also have comprehensive um, testing, um, usually that we refer to as psychological testing, um, because once that's done, you can kind of look at um, intelligence scores. You can look at um, how um, individuals are responding um, in certain situations. And so usually what we like to look at is not only the diagnostic criteria within that manual, but we also like to look at psychological testing. So it really is a process. It's not something that you're going to get quick. You're not going to go in for a 15-minute office visit and and get diagnosed with ADHD. It's a process. Right. In psych mental health, uh, most of our stuff is 
nothing happens really fast because we have to get to know you. We have a lot of assessments to do, like Chandra was talking about. With children, we want to talk with the parents. We want to talk with their teachers. Uh, we, we really have to paint that big picture of what's going on before we start making those diagnostic decisions. Uh, we, we want a good picture, and um, it's sometimes that's difficult. And uh, but we really want to strive to to get that to get the right diagnosis the first time. Right, the right diagnosis the first time. I love that. I'm here with uh, Dr. Carl Mangum and Chandra Boston, psych mental health nurse practitioners at UMC, and we're happy to take all your calls about mental health issues, any medication questions or therapy issues as well. Give us a call at one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Now, the medicines that go along with ADHD, because I often have parents who say, well, I don't want my kid to be uh, a zombie. They don't want them to be snowed and, and not able to, to play and be a kid. So what are the different kinds of medications and, and what do they do to you? You know, what should we be looking out for? Okay. Um, several medications can help with ADHD. Um, the most common types of medicines are called stimulants. Um, and then we ha- do have medications um, that are non-stimulant medications. But the medications help individuals with ADHD focus. They help them learn. They help them to stay calm. Um, And there are some side effects. Um, We don't like to refer to them as zombie-like side effects, Mm -hmm. but there are some side effects such as um, sleep problems um, or sometimes uh, individuals complain of stomach aches. Um, But we um, try to just look at a few medications for individuals to see which one may work best. Now, I heard the word stimulant, and that kind of seems backwards. You think you have a child who's got some hyperactivity and having trouble concentrating. Why would you give them a stimulant? How does that work? What does that do to them? Dr. Mangum, can you elaborate on that for me, please? Well, the stimulant itself um, biologically helps the person think. Um, Many people, uh, you know, may take... I don't want to say this because I don't want people doing it, but caffeine itself is a stimulant. And a lot of people you'll see take that stimulant and it says it helps them to focus. And you would think it would be the opposite exactly. Now, someone that doesn't have ADHD and took the stimulant, exactly what that would happen. They would go off the chart, so <laughs> to speak, uh, get very hyper probably and things like that. But for people that truly are diagnosed with it and truly have the disease, it has the uh, calming effect that goes with it. And so uh, it's one of those things that you want to make sure that they're diagnosed correctly. Uh, if not, you can have um, a pretty uh, difficult situation on your hands because they will definitely be hyper. So the side effects that you guys mentioned when we were starting these stimulant medications, do those get better? Do they, Or is they something that you just kind of have to learn to live with? It, it depends, again, uh, with any medication out there, not only the uh, psychi- psychotropic-type medications. Uh, people are different, and they respond differently. Uh, you, you and I could take the same medication and have two completely different outcomes with it. Um, if the side effects are manageable or, or very small, where the person can still function, they say, hey, this is okay, I can handle it. Uh, and depending on the efficacy of the medication, we may leave them on it. It's one of those things where um, uh, you've got to look at the uh, uh, risk versus benefit. 
And so, it, again, it, there's a lot of depends. I hate to say it like that, but there is. Um, but if they're having severe reactions for the medication, yes, we need to get them off of it and uh, uh, try something different. So I'm glad you mentioned that because there are a couple of kind of alarm signs when we have folks on stimulant medications that we need to make sure that they let us know about if they're having those problems. What are those types of things? Well, definitely we, the, the first thing we go to is suicidal or homicidal thoughts. Uh, those probably scare us the most out of anything that, as we're talking to patients and or their families. Um, that I would say that would be the, the top of the mountain type thing that we want to look at. Other issues may be uh, difficulty sleeping, um, of course, any GI issues, stomach um, if there's a lot of nausea, people, you can't concentrate when you're nauseated. I don't care what you're doing. Uh, it just won't happen. So those are the big things that we look for, and probably um, the stomach is probably one of the most common things. And can actually affect appetite as well, sure. correct? You know, they tend to not want to eat as much. So that's why it's really important that you co- you keep your scheduled follow-up appointments, even if it's not for the ADHD, just so that your primary health care provider can monitor your weight. Because if we start to see weight dropping in someone on a stimulant medication, that gives me pause a little bit. Yeah. That I turn to Chandra since she's sitting next to me and I say, hey, Chandra, this kid's starting to lose some weight and kind of help me uh, get along with that. And what about cardiac? Because I know that some of the stimulant medications can have problems with, with the heart. So what's the deal with that? Sometimes stimulant medications can cause cardiac arrhythmias. So it's very important that individuals taking stimulant medications have um, a baseline EKG that's highly recommended and also annually thereafter. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Valerie in Jackson. And if you would like to talk to us today, give us a call at one 672 7464 That's one eight seven seven mpb ring Or shoot me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. Podcasts of your favorite MPB Think Radio programs are available now. With any podcast app, you can search, subscribe, and never miss a second of MPB Think Radio. Hi, I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join me each Tuesday for Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Each week, we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental obstacles to family interaction, from depression to handling life's disruptions, discovering things that make you happy, or how to get around things keeping you from your happiness. I want to hear what's going on in your life. Relatively Speaking, part of the Daily Southern Remedy series, tomorrow morning at 11 on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org.
Welcome back to Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell here with psych mental health nurse practitioner Chandra Boston and Carl Mangum. And we're answering your questions today about mental health and medications and depression and anxiety. And we very much want to talk with you today. You can give us a call at 1-877-672-7464. And we're going to go to Valerie in Jackson. Good morning, Valerie. Good morning. How are you? I'm fine. Good. What can we help you with today? I want to follow up on a caller who called in earlier. Okay. Um, I, I have a comment and a question. Okay. Uh, illnesses like, you know, being told that you have a terminal type cancer, colon cancer, you know, those kinds of things, the multiple myelomas, you know, you're told those kinds of, you know, patients are told those kinds of diagnoses do throw them off. So what is the opinion about mental health counseling as part of the team for automatically? part of the team in Mississippi for patients who are given such diagnosis. And, um, you know, from, from our experts, what do they think about that? And the follow-up question is, for people who do we know, for, you know, considering we have a high suicide rate in our country, so do we know how many of these might be people who are given, you know, terminal, not the people who choose to, to die like, you know, the Kevorkian or whatever, right. but given terminal, you know, given diagnoses who are going through treatments or are trying to adjust to the new information, but then potentially die from overdose of pain medications or those kinds of things. Do we have any numbers on that? I'm going to turn that over to my experts because I am not aware of any statistics that point to the number of suicides that are are linked to um, chronic disease diagnoses and that type of thing. It's a brilliant idea and something that Mm -hmm. we definitely need to be looking into. Um, But, you know, to answer your other question about, you know, mental health counseling in the face of a a difficult diagnosis, I will tell you that um, the clinic that I'm at, we actually uh, practice something called integrative behavioral health. So there's a family nurse practitioner, a psych mental health nurse practitioner, a social worker, and an occupational therapist that actually practice together. And so any of our patients that have had a um a healthcare problem like let's say a stroke, heart attack, they've gotten a cancer diagnosis, they've lost a loved one recently, we see them together so that um, I can address the physical side of that, whether we need, you know, medications for the, the cardiac issues. And then my other part of my team will see them for their mental health issues or if there's limitations in their activities of daily living um, associated with that. Dr. Mangum, do you have something to add to that? Yes. Um if it's an inpatient, um, I know we can get a consult through psychiatry uh, where someone can come and, and visit this person doing an assessment and, and see which direction they need to go. Uh, part of the issue is the outpatient where it becomes a little more um, uh, difficult. And um, we want to make sure our primary care physicians and nurse practitioners uh, understand that if they're delivering um, very detrimental information to a patient, it would be good to have a potential consult with psychiatry. Um, and it, so we can go in and help that person make adjustments. And sometimes it only takes one visit and we're able to speak with them and, and they tell us what they think, what they believe, how they feel. And we're able to give them suggestions and work through it. Other people may need several visits. And, and it's a great idea and it's a great thing that needs to happen. Um, and mental illness, that stigma, again, has to come out of that 
that proverbial box and because it affects everything we do. And people that receive these diagnoses, it's really important that we follow up with them just to just to help them. And many people are able to get along on their own and able to cope with and, and get through, uh, but many are not. And they really need that consult to see the professional. Thank you for that. And thank you, Valerie, for calling. And thank you for getting us thinking about that connection between chronic disease and suicide rates. It's definitely something that I will explore some more in the future. So I hope I that helped. Thank well, you. I, yeah, it does. I suspect that there are gaps, even with the primary care providers, even recognizing the, you know, different mental statuses of, of right. clients. So, yes, right. it does help. And it is something I do believe strongly that we need to be thinking about. Well, thank you so much for that call. And thank you for getting us thinking this morning. Mm-hmm. Thank you. You're welcome. You can give us a call. We have open lines at one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, or shoot me an email at fit at mpbonline.org. And I'm going to go to Shirley in Vicksburg, and she has a question about medication. Good morning, Shirley. Hi, how are you? I'm okay. How are you doing today? Well, I have been better. Oh, well, how can we help um, you? My problem is that I've been on medication uh, and I was diagnosed with bipolar uh, 2 disorder in the mid-80s. Uh, I have studied all of the, you know, the different symptoms that I ha- have had and the different diagnoses that are out there. And I'm not one of these people that says, oh, I have that. I must have this, you know. Um, I have a a lot of overlapping uh, symptoms that where it's difficult to diagnose, but the biggest problem I have is uh, anxiety, and um, every now and then I will have depression. And right now I'm going through the worst period of depression that I've had in a very long time. And, uh, you know, when you call your, you know, when I call my psychiatrist, it doesn't really uh, do me any good because he says, well, you know, use your behavioral techniques and keep taking your medicine and take care of yourself and it'll only last a little while and which that's all of the stuff that I know, and uh, I, you know, I am thinking about changing, uh, changing psychiatrists. Uh, I've talked to my uh, regular provider about this, and she's willing to give me some referrals, but um, I don't think I was diagnosed correctly back then. I, you know, I don't buy tickets to Jamaica and, you know, <laughs> uh, uh, obliterate the bank account. Right. Um, and I've never been hospitalized. Uh, but I have had some, you know, suicidal ideation, I guess you would say. Some, like, you know, I just want the pain to go away. Right. You know, I just want to go to sleep and wake up and feel better. <laughs> so that's basically my problem. 
and I'd like to know your thoughts on that. Yes, ma'am. I'm going to turn that to Chandra because I know she sees a lot of patients and has treated a lot of patients with bipolar disorders. Um, what can we do to help Ms. Shirley today? Well, Ms. Shirley, I was just going to mention to you that, um, you know, bipolar disorder, depression and anxiety um, does not look the same in everyone. I heard you mention that um, you've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder, but you've also experienced some depression and some anxiety. Um, You know, women experience depression more often uh, than men. Um, And with bipolar disorder, um, you do have those mood changes um, where you have the highs and you have the lows. Um, My recommendations to you at this point would be to definitely um, maybe um, be reevaluated, whether it be by your current psychiatrist or um, if you would um, like to follow up on those referrals that your primary care um, provider mentioned to you. But I think it would be beneficial to have an evaluation and kind of see where you are at this point. Also, I would like to add that most people respond to the combination of medications and therapy. Dr. Mangum, do you have anything to add to that? Well, it's common. um, We hear a lot from our our patients and clients that many of their uh, manifestations or signs and symptoms do overlap, and that's um, kind of a common thing we see. So I can understand where she's coming from 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 that point of view. Um, We're always going to tell you if if you feel uncomfortable, um, you know, get checked out, get a new assessment if that needs to be done. And uh, um, we're Definitely always tell people don't stop taking your medications until you consult your uh, caregiver uh, because it's really important, especially in the mental health world. Uh, That's the number one reason people are re-hospitalized in the mental health uh, field is because they stop taking their medications. They get to feeling better. It's kind of like your antibiotic. They'll take it for three days. They feel better, stop, and uh, and then they, you know, three weeks later, they're worse than what they were. And so we definitely want to encourage you to take your medications, um, but it, it's important that you, you know, get that follow-up. Right. You know, I kind of have two things to add to that. One is it's, it's always okay to get a second opinion. So if you don't feel like you're um, getting the help that you need um, with your current provider, always, always get a second opinion. And, and see what they have to offer you. And the second is, you, know, you mentioned that in the past you've had some suicidal thoughts and ideations. You know, don't let that go. If you're suffering from that, you know, you can um, always seek emergency medical treatment for that. That's what needs to happen if you're having those thoughts and, and ideas and get that taken care of sooner rather than later. Um, because we do know that you know, untreated depression does lead to suicide. So, Shirley, you know, I'm sorry that you're having trouble, but I do hope that you will... Um, seek that second opinion and and get some additional help for yourself. Does that sound okay? Yes, I will. And uh, I think I thank you for giving me some input. And and please stay in touch with us and let us know how you're doing. If you will, shoot me an email at fit at mpbonline.org so I can check in on you and make sure you're doing okay. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, have my husband and, um, you know, I I'm doing okay, you know, I realize what I shouldn't do. Well, I want to hear from you again, so you give me a call anytime, okay? Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. 
Bye-bye. We're going to take a quick break. We do have open lines. You can give us a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 Here with my guests, Carl Mangum and Chandra Boston, answering your questions about mental health. For the arts and music is MPB Music Radio. From classical to bluegrass and everything in between, MPB Music Radio has a sound for every ear. For information on where to find MPB Music Radio, visit mpbonline.org. Hi, I'm Nina Totenberg. Are you someone who talks about how great public radio is, but you're still not a donor? Rather than wait for the next pledge drive, you can support the programs you love by donating that unwanted vehicle. Donate it today. It could be worth hundreds of dollars to this station, and you could get a tax deduction. And thank you. Donate your car, motorcycle, boat, or RV by going to mpbonline.org. News you can trust in radio built around you. Mississippi Public Broadcasting. This is Southern Remedy, healthy and fit on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, fit at mpbonline.org. here with Chandra Boston and Carl Mangum, Psych Mental Health Nurse Practitioners at UMC. And we've got um, a, an email that I really want to get to. Um, it's from Tammy, and Tammy says that her nephew has some mental health issues but no insurance. Can we help with that at UMC? So it's a couple things I want to let Tammy know about. One is it's going to depend on what kind of mental illness it is as to what kind of assistance he can qualify for. Some of our more um, severe mental illness types, such as schizophrenia or depression that is very hard to treat and is affecting daily life, may actually qualify for um, to be considered a a disability and then would be eligible for um, public insurance assistance with that. So that's one thing I would encourage you to check in with that. And the other is we do offer financial counseling at UMC, and it's it's not exactly what it sounds like. We don't counsel you about your finances, but if you get referred into a provider um, at UMC and you do not have health insurance, um, the referring provider can um, get you set up for financial counseling where they will evaluate everything and see if they can get you some assistance in um, paying for your um, treatment there. So those are a couple options that um, may 
be um, available to you. If you need more information about either of those things, feel free to email me at fed at mpbonline.org, and I'll be happy um, to send you some more information about that. And we um, are going to go to Bert in Mobile. Good morning, Bert. Oh, Bert hung up. I'm sorry. So, uh, Bert, if you still have a question, go ahead and send me that email. and I'll be happy to um, uh, get that information out to you. I do have an email from Wendy, and Wendy is asking what type of school setting would you suggest for young children, and, and that's children under the age of five with severe ADHD. Dr. Mangum, do you have something for Wendy? Well, with public schools, uh, the system's set up where uh, they have to, by federal law, accommodate the children and, and work with them for their best educational environment that they can uh, provide them. Uh, usually a five-year-old may be the kindergarten level, and um, there, uh, there are schools that seem to do better um, with those types of illnesses. Um, and it's important that you go in and speak with um, whoever's in charge let them understand what you're dealing with, and um, and just evaluate school to school. Since those are usually not the grade school type, uh, they're sometimes a little harder to find. Yeah. It's important to re- realize that public schools do have services available for children who um, have problems with um, ADHD or any of the other uh, behavioral issues that they may have. Each one of those public schools does have services for them. You just may have to ask what services are available um, for your child. So we hope that helps. If not, you can always email me back at fittedmpbonline.org. And I do have another email. This is from Anna. And Anna says, hey, y'all. Well, hey, Anna. I'm so glad you sent us an email. She says, a few years ago, I had a very traumatic experience. After it happened, I had many problems like reliving the experience and not being able to sleep or focus. It went away for a few months, but now it's returned. Is this normal or should I go to someone about it? What do we think, Ms. Boston? Well, sometimes um, when individuals experience some sort of um, traumatic event, Um, Sometimes you will um, have what we call flashbacks or sometimes you will relive um, the event that you experienced. And um, oftentimes that will interfere with the sleep pattern. Um, I think at this point it probably would be beneficial to um, be evaluated just to Um, make sure that um, those uh, post-traumatic symptoms are not um, getting to the point where it's affecting your functioning too much. Um, You know, oftentimes they'll interfere with your work and with your sleep, and sometimes if you don't get enough sleep, then you're irritable and you have other um, symptoms that are associated with it. So I would highly recommend being evaluated. Yeah, PTSD uh, manifests itself in different ways. Uh, a lot of similarities like any other disease process. And uh, many people do experience that initial issue with it and not being able to sleep and reliving what's going on. Um, that's um, that's pretty typical. Uh, some do get better, then they may relapse like, uh, like this lady's saying. And uh, again, if it's affecting your daily uh, activities, you can't sleep. And to us, not being able to sleep is affecting your daily activities. Sleep is so important. It's, um, it's one of the most most un, un, uh, uh, unassuming things out there that people look at, but sleep is so critically important. I can't stress that enough. Um, and if you're having those issues, please um, find someone and um, get assessed. Um, we definitely encourage that. 
I agree. You know, uh, just like you said, since it's it's been hanging on for a couple months, it's definitely at that point where we need to go ahead and, and seek evaluation for that. So, Anna, I encourage you to do that. If you need help finding a health care provider, be sure you can shoot me an email again, and I'll be happy to um, put you in contact with some folks. And that is our show for today, and I'm so thankful for my guests, Chandra Boston and Carl Mangum, for answering our questions about mental health. If you still have questions, email me at fit at mpbonline.org, and I'll be back next week with another special guest, and we'll be tackling the topic of wellness and screenings and what you should be having done at each age group and why it's important to get that done. So I'll see you next week on Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit. and Blue Shield of Mississippi. Live healthy. Live blue. It's good to be blue. More at bcbsms.com. A much more quiet weather picture for the next couple of days. We are going to continue to watch these clouds erode from west to east as we head through the afternoon. So some folks will get a little bit more sunshine than others. In Oxford today, we will see a mixture of clouds and sunshine. Our highs in the low 50s. The clouds will completely